Father, you are a great God who does take ordinary people, and through you and your power and your Holy Spirit and your word, extraordinary things happen. Father, today I want to ask you to help that happen in our families. There is no doubt we live in a time when we feel like the family is under attack, and it can be a real scary time. And Father, we are inadequate, we feel inadequate, we are, on our own. And we need your help. And I pray that you'd help us see that today, how you want to help us, and what our part is in your help. And that your spirit would work in this room today to help the families sitting in this room. Whatever, wherever we are in life and wherever our families are, please work in our lives today. In your son's name, amen. What pests do you absolutely hate? I mean, what, what, if, you walk, if you get up in the morning and you look in the kitchen or you look in the bathroom when you're bleary-eyed in the morning and you see something, you know it's going to be a bad day. You know, what pest is it? Is it a spider? Snakes? Mice? Cockroaches? Yeah. Bats? A lot of people like bats flying around. We have these pests, and they really get to us, don't they? Well, we want to talk today about the pests that attack our homes. Because our homes have pests, too. And in some ways, those pests are both more destructive, more scary, and I guess we'd probably say harder to get rid of than the mice and the spiders and the bats and the cockroaches. Well, what are some of those pests? A number of you helped me um, with the survey that I ask in the back. And I got a variety of responses. Of course, some of them were the same. Here's some of the pests that you see attacking our homes today. Uh, parents not taking responsibility to be the parent, just trying to be friends. Too much TV, too much video. Uh, no structured family time together. Selfishness. Too much materialism, comfort, luxury. Um, unwilling to confront wrong and identify right and wrong. Busyness, too much overcommitment. Uh, everybody working too much, too focused on money and things and working too hard to get those things. Um, impatience, um, not taking care of the marriage. Um, our insecurities, no sense of self-worth. Communication and conflict. Addictions, alcohol, chemical, porn, all those addictions. That's by no means a complete list, but it sure is a daunting list of the pests attacking our homes. My second question was, what do you think is the number one pest attacking our homes? Hands down, the number one vote-getter? <laughs> Busyness. Overcommitment. No family time together. Then there were a whole bunch of sort of second place TV, um, not recognizing and naming good and evil, lack of communication, materialism, money, um, selfishness, 
the marriage, those kinds of things. I think it's safe to say today that we're worried about our homes. And I think most people, even singles, looking at, do I want to get married? Do I want to try and raise a family? As well as those in it or married couples saying, do we want to have kids? It's a scary thing today. I find even now that Peggy and I are empty nesters. It's looking at our kids and them getting married and them having families and and afraid for them. It's a scary thing today. We're worried about our homes. I think it's not only we see what's wrong, we see people trying to get rid of the pest, trying to have a good home or a good marriage or raise their kids right, and yet you still see so many problems. And some, in some ways, despite all the talk shows and, and, and all the books and all of that, it, thing, it seems like at times things are still getting worse, not better. There's times I hear parents talk and it's really a note of panic. It's really some sense of, I'm so afraid and I don't know what to do. And you see some parents out of that frantically trying every new idea, every new expert they hear on Dobson or Oprah or whatever, every new book, or withdrawing and just saying, we're just going to check out and withdraw from all of this. As Christians, I think there's a logical point where we start to say, well, why isn't God helping us? Why isn't God doing more to fix our families? We pray for him too, we ask him to, and yet it doesn't always seem like he's fixing this mess. It's like he's sort of letting it get worse. What's going on? Well, there's an old joke that I want to tell you that sort of indicates where we want to head today. You've probably heard this joke, but I'm going to say it again. It's his family, and they live in a home close to a river, and a flood comes. And first, this message comes out over the emergency radio. The river's rising. It's going to flood. It's going to go over its banks. Evacuate your homes. But this family, they're very strong Christians. This family says, no, we don't need to do that. God will take care of us. And so they don't leave. Well, the river rises. It floods. It goes over its banks. And their home becomes surrounded. In fact, the flood goes so high, they have to get up on the roof to, to say, stay out of the floodwaters. Well, about that time, some emergency folks come by in a boat and say, hey, come on, we need to take you out of here. And they say, no, God's going to take care of us. Um, we're, we're, we're trusting in God. And so they refuse to get in the boat. So they go on to save some other people. Well, the flood riders continue to rise to where they're just on the peak of the roof. And about that time, a National Guard helicopter comes by and says, come on, we've got to save you now. It's your last chance. And their response is, hey, we don't need your help. God's going to take care of us. Well, pretty soon the floodwaters rise, sweep them off, and they all drown. They get to heaven and they say, God, what's up? We trusted you. We prayed for you to save us, and you, you didn't come through. And he says, didn't come through? I sent you an emergency warning to get out of the way. I sent you a boat. I sent you a helicopter. What do you mean I didn't try and save you? You're not laughing. <laughs> which, which is why I never tell jokes. <laughs> <laughs> I 
But the reason I tell that is I'm afraid that that joke is too true for us and our families. Now, here's what I mean. What if God has already provided all the help we need? And the problem is we're not using it. What if we're lamenting and complaining and begging God, God help our families. And he's saying, what do you mean help your families? I've given you a ton of help. Now that's not fun to hear, but if it's true, then we need to hear it. The truth is we want God to fix our families, don't we? We want him to make things better, make it easier. So we don't have to make all these tough choices and face these dilemmas and feel bombarded by wrong influences. We want to buy a book, listen to a sermon, pray a prayer, and have God fix our families. And when he doesn't do that, we get frustrated. We want to live in our communities and look like our neighbors and live like our neighbors, and yet we want great families in the process. And somehow we want God to fix that. It struck me that a lot of times we're guilty of wanting God to sort of do an extreme makeover on our families. You know, I just take off for a week, go to Disneyland, I come home, and I got a mansion. And don't we sometimes pray that way for God? God, fix my family, fix my marriage, fix my kids, fix my spouse. Why isn't he? We just want this sort of extreme makeover and we want God to do it. Well, I want to talk today about the help God has given us and wants to give us for the pests that we've identified. But God's help is not extreme makeover. If I can pick another TV show, it's more like DIY to the rescue. Now, if you don't get cable, you haven't seen this. But DIY to the rescue is where some home remodeler tries to do it themselves. And they pretty much totally screw it up. The, the, the best one I've ever seen was this guy took off for a week, I think, of work. And his wife decided she wanted to remodel for him. And she cut all the supporting walls out of the interior of their house while he was gone. And so he comes home and the whole interior ceiling is just sagging. It's a miracle it didn't collapse, so it's DIY to the rescue. And so these guys come in, whatever the screw-up is, these guys come in with expertise, with amazing sources, substances, materials, you name it, and help with your help, and together you fix it. And you sure need their expertise and help, but they ask you to stay right in there, and you're a part of fixing it, and you learn from them as they coach you, and together you put the house together. I think that's how God wants to help us. I don't think God's going to do extreme makeover for us. 
There's no book you're going to buy. There's no prayer you're going to pray. And God is just going to fix it for you. But please do not read into that that God doesn't care. God doesn't care about families or marriages or raising kids or any of that. He cares deeply. And he wants to help. But he offers his help in ways that will involve us, must involve us. And that's what we want to talk about today. To do that, we have to make a tough choice, a tough decision. And that decision is laid out in Colossians 3, if you want to turn there. I want to read verses 1 through 3 and then 8 through 10. Since then you have been raised with Christ, we've become Christian. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Then jump down to verse 8. But now, now you've become a Christian, you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Paul lays out for us in Colossians a real clear challenge. That if we are Christian and if we want a different outcome, then we have to face the fact that we have to think differently. We have to look at life differently. What goes on inside our head and our hearts has to be different than it is for the non-Christians. I'd put it this way. We have to choose where we're going to focus. What are we going to think about? What path are we going to walk? What are we going to fill our lives with, spend our time on, invest our money in? And in a sense, where are we going to choose to not focus? Where we won't go there, we won't allow that in our lives... We won't allow that in our families. And this is a choice we have to make. God won't make it for us. We have to choose to say, where am I going to stand? What am I going to be about? What am I going to allow in my life? What path am I going to walk? Now, it's easy to talk about that choice. And I fully recognize that. And it's easy to preach about that choice. And it's easy to sit in a pew and say, I'm going to make that choice. But the reality is when we walk out that door today, it's tough. It's real tough to live out that choice. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, I beat my body. I don't think he is literally talking about some self-flagellation that we see in bizarre rituals. 
but he is talking about how hard he had to fight against some of the own things he wanted to do, some of his own emotions and feelings. And he said, I have to beat myself to avoid walking the wrong path. He says in Galatians 5, that if we're followers of Christ, we have to crucify ourselves, that sinful nature in us, those passions, those desires. This is a tough choice. What I want to try and explain today is that it is the critical decision. Everything else flows out of it. It's like we come to a a fork in the road and you can't walk both paths. You can take this path or you can take this path, but you can't take both. And down those paths are all kinds of things that we're going to talk about today. If we choose to walk down God's path. But before we talk about those, we need to face this initial decision where we say, what am I going to be about? What am I going to focus on? Am I going to just let anything flow into my life? Am I going to look at my neighbors or my co-workers and take my cues from them? Am I going to take my cues from the popular TV show that I like to watch? Where am I going to choose to focus? Am I going to buy into the popular message that if it feels good, it is good? There is no right and wrong. Do whatever you want. Paul says we've got to crucify our desires. Crucify some of the things that we label. Feels good. Is not good. Paul says we have to face that. And how we make this initial decision affects everything. Too often, I think, families are in trouble because we don't even make that initial decision and we sort of flip-flop between paths. And every time we flip to the wrong path, we just let in all kinds of junk that undoes all the good from following the right path. And somewhere we need to more consciously say, I am driving a stake in the ground. I am making a choice. I am going to be the person who says, I will crucify my desires. I will beat my body. I'm going to walk this path. Because it's the right path. It's the path that works. It's the path towards a healthy family and healthy kids. And I am choosing to walk that path. I love those words of Joshua. You choose who you want to serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That is the beginning of defeating these pests and having a healthy family. We have to consciously make that choice. And because it is a tough choice, we're going to have to come back to it all the time. We're going to have to come back to it and say, no, I drove a stake in the ground. I'm walking that path. And this option, this voice, this opportunity, this choice, whatever, that's from the other path. And I have chosen to not walk that path. I want to walk this path. I'm trying an experiment. I'm still working on it. It's a tough choice. 
in an attempt to lose weight, I've decided the way to, one of the things I need to do is I need to decide to be a person who likes fruit. My problem is I don't like fruit. And I've sort of been waiting for this miracle to happen to make me like fruit. Well, that hasn't happened. So I'm going to take a, I've decided to take a new approach and ask myself, what would a person who liked fruit eat today? Well, that's interesting. Suddenly at Caribou, it's not the scone, it's the cup of fruit. So then I say, okay, if a person who likes fruit would do that, I am committed to being a person who likes fruit. Give me the cup of fruit. <laughs> but you know, the really interesting thing is after you eat that cup of fruit a few times, it actually starts to taste pretty good. But it began by saying, I am committed to being a person who likes fruit. Now, how do I get there? What we need to say as families, as couples, as parents, we are committed to be parents, couples, spouses who are walking God's path. Whatever he says to do, we're going to do it because we're committed to walking that path and committed to not walking the popular path that everything's telling me to do. Now, if we walk that, well, one other thing, and then we're going to talk about what's down that path. The good news is, if we will make that choice, God won't make it for us, but if we will make that choice, He will help us follow through on this tough choice. He says in Romans 8, 13, If you live according to the sinful nature, the other path, you're going to die. But if, now catch this, by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you'll live. Notice that phrase in there, by the Spirit. God does not expect us to make this tough choice and follow through and carry it out just on our own human power. He says, my Spirit will help you. The Holy Spirit will help us follow through if we choose this path. And say, that's where I want to walk, God. Help me walk. And he says, I'll help you walk it once you've made the choice. Now, there's four truths that God shares with us down that path that if we'll listen to them, they are going to address the pests that are attacking our homes. And I want to quickly look at those four truths. Okay? This help that God has provided us. First of all, He has given us truth to follow in building our homes. What's right and wrong, what's important, what's not important what we should be involved in, what we should not be involved in. That's not a mystery. We don't have to pray for divine guidance. He's already given it to us. What did Jesus say at the end of the Sermon on the Mount? My words are bedrock you can build your lives on. And if you'll build your lives on my words, whatever storms come, you won't have to worry. Your home, your life, your family will stand. This isn't just a theological, theoretical book about God. Too often the Bible has been viewed that, or a dry history book. It is full of practical truth that applies to our everyday living. It will tell us what is right and wrong. It will tell us what is important, what is not important. It will tell us how to build relationships and what destroys relationships. 
it will tell us what lifestyle choices are okay and what life lifestyle choices are self-destructive. It will tell us how to treat others, our friends, our co-workers, and even the people we don't like. God has given us an amazing amount of truth to guide us. We have to see it that way and go read the truth. It's there. It's up to us to use it. The second thing is that God has said, I'm going to provide for you. You do not have to become frantic people living for money and things because that's what will bring you happiness and security for the future. That is a message we get. And if we buy into that, we are missing the whole point that God shares with us. He says, I'm going to take care of you. You don't have to be frantic about stuff. Jesus tells the parable of the rich fool. An extremely successful business person who makes a ton of money in agriculture and builds an enormous amount of assets. And then it's all for nothing. And his wasted life is exposed at the very end. Jesus is trying to drive home the point. It's not all about stuff. It's not all about how many hours I can work and how many promotions I can get and how much we can buy. And if we walk down that path, we're wasting our time. Jesus in Matthew 6 says, Real treasure is not stuff. It's stuff you can do. It's things you do for God and create treasure in heaven. He says, you don't have to worry about all the stuff. I'll provide for your needs. God says, I'll provide with what you need. Don't worry about it. Don't get sucked into that competition, that rat race, that living for that. It's not worth it. How many problems in our families would be, we would be addressed if we really got that? And we didn't live for work and we didn't live for stuff. And that next purchase and that next sale flyer, because that's what will make us happy, it's all about the stuff. It was fascinating as we worked in Eastern Europe. And just as we were working in Eastern Europe, the communist countries, be, we began to change. Yugoslavia was the first one that fell. Then Hungary opened up. But what was so fascinating was talk to the Christians as that process happened. Because one of the first things that happened in each of those countries, and you can trace this in every one of the communist countries as they changed, from the control of communism and persecution of Christians, with freedom came materialism and an addiction to everything from the West that they could now buy. And you'd sit and you'd talk with the Christians and the churches, and they'd say, this is much worse than the persecution of communism. Everybody's living for things now, and they think the things are going to make them happy. And it didn't. And they wasted their lives running after stuff. It destroys our homes. The third one is living for others. 
Not self is what brings happiness. Jesus said in Matthew 16, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will find it. This is a truth that's not real popular today, isn't it? We have this huge outcry that says it's all about me. Whatever I want to do, whatever's important to me, whatever will make me feel good, that is good. That's what defines right and wrong, good and bad. And as people buy into that selfishness, now it's not labeled that, but that's what it is. As people buy into that selfishness that it's all about me, it produces brokenness and emptiness, not fulfillment and happiness. And the paradoxical thing that God comes along and teaches is that you want to be happy? Then quit focusing on yourself. Lose your life. Care about your others around you. Care about the people you know and love. What, what's first for them? It's not bailing out to go play with your toy or your game. What's first for them? Love them and you'll be happier. You'll find what life's really like. And it's not just those that you love. It's those around you, those who work with you, those you know, your friends, those you don't even know. And in that living outside of self and caring about others and serving and helping and giving up and letting people take advantage of you and whatever else, God said, when you live that way, then you'll find what life is really all about. And you'll find life at its best. And you see, that is so weird for people today. They say, there's no way. It's got to be all about me if I'm going to be happy. And they walk that path and they never find it. And God says, I know this sounds insane, but trust me, it really works. Quit living for self and you'll be happier. Imagine how many troubled families would be transformed by that concept. How many troubled marriages would be transformed by that concept. How many kids would be transformed and how many parents would be transformed. By saying, it's not all about me. God says, that's how it works. That's how Jesus lived. And it sure worked for him. Well, the fourth truth is that we'd all be happier if we forgave more. Turn over to Colossians 3 again. This time, verse 13. Imagine how this would transform families today. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. There's so much truth in that verse. Uh, it, it could easily be a whole sermon. I want to start at the end. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That is a reminder which we like to forget. That we've messed up and we had to be forgiven. When I get into the righteous mode of condemning you because you screwed up, the last thing I want to talk about is how I screw up. I'd rather come from this righteous position of I'm right here. And what Paul's saying is never forget, you may be right in this moment, but there's a long list of screw-ups in your life too. So when we remember that, 
then we ha- how we handle others when they mess up totally changes. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. None of us is perfect. And when we give that grace to the other people around us, they're going to do wrong. They're going to forget things. They're, n- they're not going to follow through on something. They're not going to stop and buy something. They're going to be late. Whatever it is, somewhere there's got to be more forgiveness and grace in our homes, in our relationships. We've got to cut people some slack. The tragedy is as things go south in a relationship, there's less grace. And we get harder on people. And we keep longer lists. Now, I know this would never happen in your home, but you've seen it in TV shows. You know, this fight happens over this. And in the midst of that fight, pretty soon we're bringing up what happened last month and last year. And 15 years ago when you also didn't show up when my mother's birthday was here. And all this stuff is coming back. And it's like, we got to let go of this stuff. I love in 1 Corinthians 13 where Paul says, keep no record of wrongs. That's what real love does. One preacher said it this way, we need to keep short lists. How long are the lists you keep? Kids, how long are the lists you keep about your parents? Parents, how long are the lists you keep about your kids? Spouses? Imagine the transformation in homes if there was just this grace of opening the winds and blowing all the junk out regularly and an acceptance and allowance of each other I am going to mess up I'm sorry and we go on and there is forgiveness there real love it would transform you see God has given us help the problem is God's help for the family is radical It doesn't fit our human logic. It won't seem right. It won't feel right. It won't always feel good. It'll feel like pain, suffering, hard work. And it's not always what we're going to see on TV and in the media. But it may be radical, but it works. If we will take advantage of the help God has provided, if we will say, I'm going to walk that path. I'm going to look to the Word for my guidance, for right and wrong, priorities, lifestyle. I'm going to trust the Word to be right. How many issues today in the news would be resolved if we said, God says this is wrong. We're not going to do it. Problem solved. And on down that list of his truth, of forgiveness, all the things that we talked about today. But it comes down to driving a stake in the ground and saying, for my family to be healthy, God, I'm going to walk your path. Not just talk about it on Sunday morning in the church service. I'm going to drive that stake in the ground. And it's going to guide me Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday night, this home will be built 
on your path. Let's pray. Father, please help us do that. I doubt if there's very many in this room who don't want to do that. But the issue's not in here, it's out there the rest of the week. You've promised that your Spirit will help us, and I ask for that. Open our eyes to the practical nature of that commitment. That it's going to affect what I'm going to do Monday, what I'm going to spend, what I'm going to look at on the computer, where I'm going to go, who I'm going to spend time with. It will change everything. Father, show that to us. Open our eyes to see your path and help us with the commitment to walk it. In your son's name, amen. something to carry with you for the week ahead. Um, As always, um, there will be people in the prayer room. If there's something that you would like to talk with someone and pray with someone about, uh, we hope that you'll take advantage of that and go there and talk with them and pray with them. May you have a blessed week walking his paths. Thanks. (laughs) 